Good morning. Let's come back together and find our seats. It's good to worship together, to greet each other this morning. Um, it is um, fun. I'm excited. We're getting back to Acts this morning and coming back. We, we finished our summer series um, in Psalms, and now we're coming back to the last third of the book of Acts. We've done the first two thirds, and so we'll be in chapter 18 today, starting at verse 23. But I actually want to start by reading Acts 1.8 again. And we said at the very beginning of this series, like 200 years ago, so maybe about one year ago, we said at the very beginning that Acts 1.8 serves as sort of a summary of the entire book and a structure for the whole book. And, and this, is, this is instruction to the disciples of what's about to happen to the church. They're about to go from 12 and then the other, the other followers of Jesus into a full-blown church and into a worldwide movement. And Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we saw that. We, started, we saw it start in Jerusalem with the day of Pentecost, and thousands came to know the Lord, and God used the disciples, and daily they were teaching and instructing and discipling people in the temple. And then we saw those people leave Jerusalem and leave the festivals. And we saw the gospel go to all of Judea, the area around Jerusalem. Then a little bit later in Acts, we saw through Philip, the gospel went to Samaria. And that was a stretching experience for the church because we don't go to Samaria. We don't go to the Samaritans. They They are those people. But God was saying, no, no, those are my people. I love them too. And so the gospel went to Samaria. Soon after that, And I'm skipping some of the characters because we're we're just doing a flyover. Soon after that, Philip was called to the Ethiopian eunuch. And the gospel now is going beyond Samaria, beyond Israel, to the ends of the earth. And then Peter has his vision, and he's sent to Cornelius in, in Caesarea Maritima. And Cornelius, this Gentile, and his family come to the Lord. And we see the gospel just exploding. And then we see the conversion of, of Paul, of Saul. And, and, then, and then Paul goes to Asia Minor and Turkey. And the gospel and churches are being planted everywhere. And these 12 men in the upper room now are part of a movement of Christianity of the way that is spreading worldwide. And so we pick it up today in Acts 18, verse 23, where Paul has done his first two missionary journeys, and he's planted churches, and he's come back, and now he's, he's about to go on his third missionary journey. But what's interesting to me is just how the church has grown. And, and today is a day I wanted to come back and do a little bit of review, hit this little text, but I also want to come back and talk about something that's part of who we are at Village, part of our DNA of village, and part of how I believe the church grew in Acts. And that's the subject of discipleship. So, so we see throughout the book of Acts that there's always this concept of building up other people, training other people, instructing other people, and then releasing them to ministry. Barnabas actually took Paul under his wing and trained Paul and vouched for Paul and got him going. Any rewards of that discipling relationship? Yeah, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Um, Barnabas and, and Paul took John Mark. And even though there was a speed bump at the beginning, we find out later that John Mark is serving the kingdom. Paul then takes Silas under his wings, and Silas is trained and then used to disciple and, and, and equip churches. Timothy is brought under his wings. And so we see all these examples of discipleship. We see Paul, and and where we left off back in June when we left Acts, we see Paul discipling Aquila and Priscilla, this couple that he actually stayed with in in Corinth for a year and a half, that he he, um, did business with, or he, he was part of their business, rather, a tent maker or a leather worker, and he built into them. And then we saw that he left them at Ephesus as he came back from his second missionary journey to do work. And so it's disciple train, equip for work, and release them for ministry. We see this pattern over and over and over again. And we're going to see it again today as as Aquila and Priscilla then disciple someone else. And we see sort of a grandchild of of discipleship. Uh, I want to start, though, with an illustration. I use this illustration. I'm sorry for those that were here 12 years ago. I'm going to use the same illustration. 
that we use because I think it's just so fitting for um, discipleship. I have a dollar here, okay? How many of you would like this dollar? Okay, you know, you might be able to buy half of a soda at lunch or something. Um, If I was to say, I'm going to give you a dollar a day this year, would that be pretty cool? The end of the year, what do you have? Some of you listened in school. 365 is what we're currently at for days in a year. Um, Unless it's leap year, but this isn't a leap year. Yeah, okay. If I was to do that for 15 years, how many dollars would you have? Just off the top of your head, 5,475? Some of you are doing the math. I may have read my little piece of paper here. Okay, so that's a, a good, good thing, right? 15 years, $5,000. In 15 years, that also might be worth a half of a soda. But um, no comments about inflation. What if I was to say, you know what? I'm going to give you $1 today, and in a year, I'm going to double it. Okay? And a year later, I'll double what you have then. And a year later, I'll double. So, so this year, you have $1. At the end of this year, you'll have... Okay. So now you're like, okay, I could have had 365. This is the let's make a deal. What's behind box number two. I could have had $365, but now Pastor Ron's giving me $2. Woohoo. At the end of year two, what do you have? $4, right? Year three, you have $8. And so it just keeps doubling. Which deal would you rather have? The double or the $5,000? Some of my, some of my junior hires that are in here. Some of you others have heard this before. So some of the junior hires that are here, which would you rather have? $5,000 at the end of 15 years or me to take $1 and double it every year? You'd rather have the $5,000? That's a lot of money, right? That's pretty cool. If you were to double this dollar every year, you would end up after 15 years with $32,768. So $5,432,000. A little bit of a a better return on investment. And that is simply every year doubling what you have. Now, let's just say I'm going to say every year I'm going to triple what you have. Okay? In 15 years, you have $14,348,907. So let's translate this to discipleship. If we take the first column, if we go back to just the first column, Can we go backwards? I don't know if we can. We have great tech people. I know how I made the PowerPoint, so I know what I asked wasn't really possible unless you did that. Um, Okay, so if if we think of how the church sometimes grows, what we think of evangelism, if we were to evangelize one person a day and get one person to accept Christ a day, that'd be pretty amazing, right? And then we just leave them and we go on the next day to someone else, that's the dollar illustration. At the end, we'd have 5,475 Christians, okay? Now, we'd have 5,474 baby Christians, unless they got some other help, unless some other things happened. But if we take a discipleship approach, which is the next column, and we say, you know what? I am going to disciple one person a year. And And I'm going to build into them. We're going to study God's word together. We're going to learn. We're going to grow in our faith. And we're going to equip them so then in year two, both of us can disciple another person. Okay, so now we've doubled. See where where I'm going? They now disciple and equip someone. And so now we have four. Year three, all four of those people take someone and disciple because what we're doing is equipping and teaching someone what it means to walk with Jesus and what it means to serve Jesus, what it means to minister for Jesus. And that one, if you look at the bottom, gets to 32,768. Now, one of the things in our discipleship model that we often encourage is what if you did that with two other people? And so we have discipleship triads, which personally I think work a little better than one-on-one, but one-on-one's great. But if you did triads, and at the end of the year, each of those people discipled two other people. This is, we're not talking like life-changing on your schedule. Could you meet with one person? Could you meet with two people maybe every other week for a year? That, that's what we're talking about. At the end of that, if we did that, we'd have 14 million people reached for Jesus. 
Now, I know some of you that, that are into the details of all this, well, how do you guarantee they come to the Lord? How, where do you get the converts? Right. I understand all that. We start by being faithful to make disciples like Matthew 28 says. And then we trust Jesus to bring in people to be discipled. And we trust Jesus to bring those people into our lives. And so today I want to use this as the backdrop for our story. And we come to the third missionary journey and turn with me to Acts chapter 18, 23. And we'll come back to discipleship at the end. And I want to give you some just real practical ideas um, and some ways that I would love to see um, us be able to equip each other and, and us as a church equip you to do this a little, a little easier. But turn with me to Acts chapter 18. We're going to be starting at verse 23. And I just want to walk through a, this quick paragraph, and then we'll talk about some of the details about discipleship and how we can do this. Um, this is a paragraph of, at, at the least, mature believers coming alongside a less mature believer to show them how to follow Christ and to teach them the the correct way. I would say that it's more than that and really an example of an investment in someone's life that I would go to calling discipleship. Um, But at the least, it's mature believers spending some time to invest in someone that is, is in error that has an incomplete knowledge and building into him so he can be released to ministry. And in fact, if I had to summarize this paragraph, fellow believers disciple each other through instruction in the word and accountability, equipping us all for more effective ministry. And so verse 23, and in, in, in your Bible, it might be included in the paragraph before, in the paragraph ending the second missionary journey. But really, this begins the third missionary journey, and this is the prologue for the next few chapters of Acts. And the prologue here is Paul sets out on his third missionary journey. Verse 23, after spending some time there, he departed, and and, and Antioch is where he's at, Antioch, Syria. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and um, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And you really get a one-verse, one-sentence description of the first half of the third missionary journey. Okay? So, so this is uh, probably 1,500 miles are covered in this verse. Wouldn't that be nice if we could travel that quickly? But Luke here is getting to the story at Ephesus. And Paul's going to spend three years at Ephesus. We're going to spend some time there. Luke is getting there. But as Luke does, he gives us enough of, of what's happening but even in this verse, notice what's there. So, so he spent some time in Antioch, Syria, which is, was the sending church of some of the other journeys. This was a missionary church, amazing church. I would love to have been part of that and see how, how the Spirit was working there. But he departed. They sent him out, and he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. And that's probably Asia Minor. And, and that's probably, we think, that that is mostly the churches that he had been to before, And you see that in the text, strengthening all the disciples. And so even in in Paul's ministry, he's like, I'm going to go back and help people grow. I'm going to go back and make sure I'm investing in them. I'm going to go back and make sure they're walking with God. He cared about the churches he planted. It wasn't just one and done, see you later. And so Paul is going back on the overland route, which, by the way, was the longer route. It would have been quick to take a boat. Get to Ephesus. But he took the long way because he was that dedicated to the church and discipling the churches that he had formed. So if we look on a map here, and I I forgot to bring up a pointer today, but in the right, the blue path is the outgoing part of the third missionary journey. And so he leaves Antioch, and and, and instead of going all the way over to Ephesus, which is in the middle here, can you, anyone can read that? A little small for me. Um, Instead of taking a a boat to Ephesus, he does the land route and he visits all of these churches that we see earlier in Acts that he had founded. We don't know how long he spent at each one, but we know he's strengthening them. He's equipping them. He cares for them. He has relationship with them. And so he, he finally is going to come to Ephesus. That's the goal here. Remember who he left at Ephesus? Aquila and Priscilla, he left them to be building into the church at Ephesus. He wanted to go back at the end of the second missionary journey, but he, was, he urgently wanted to get back to Jerusalem. 
And so here we, we have in these short verses, he's visiting the churches, he's discipling them. And then we get an unexpected break in the narrative between 23 and 24. And, and Luke is like, okay, I've given you the prologue. We're on our way to Ephesus. Woohoo. And now I've got to tell you something that happened at Ephesus in between that doesn't really involve Paul, but it sort of does if you've read 1 Corinthians and, and understanding what's happening at Ephesus. And so he breaks the narrative to illustrate how the church is functioning, to illustrate how the church instructs each other and discipleship, and also to introduce us to Apollos, who, who appears to be an influential man in the early church. And so we come to 24, and, and the setting shifts to Ephesus, that middle location there, and doesn't involve Paul, but involves what happens before Paul gets there, and involves what happens with a couple of Paul's people he discipled, that he was in a discipling relationship with. And so we're going to look at just some discipleship hints as we go through this, We'll look at what happened and maybe how we can apply it. Verses 24 and 25 sort of sets the scene. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent eloquent man, competent in scriptures. Now, let let me just stop there. That description means Apollos was the man. This was a significant man. He was an accomplished man. He was an exceptional man. Alexandria was the center of not only culture, but of education at the time. They were known for their library. And so this was a well-educated man who's going to some of these towns that maybe weren't as educated. And so he had this status. He had this, this way about him that was very, I, I know it says competent there. And the idea isn't like competent, like, oh, he's just okay. The idea is, no, no. This guy is the man at this stuff. This guy is good at this stuff. And he goes to Ephesus. It also says he was an eloquent man. He was skilled at rhetoric. He was skilled at debating. And we'll see that a little later in the text too. And so this is an amazing man. He was competent in the scriptures. Alexandria just happens to be the place where the Old Testament was translated into the Greek where the Septuagint was translated. So that's the history of this place. And when it says scriptures here, it it means the Old Testament. That he was competent in the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. That was in the process of being written. But he knew scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He was well-spoken. He was a Jew, but he was also a foreigner. And so we have this well-spoken foreigner in Ephesus. It's interesting to me because that reminds me that discipleship bridges cultural boundaries. Discipleship bridges age. Discipleship bridges skin culture. Discipleship bridges educational background. Discipleship is two believers coming together or three believers coming together and building into each other and growing in Christ. And so verse 25, though, introduces the problem. We have this amazing man. Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And that's a phrase where we're like, what does that mean? And, and we get clues from the verse. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. That's where the, the record scratch across the vinyl happens. And we're like, he only knew of the baptism of John. And what it appears by what we can piece together is the way of the Lord probably refers to the initial teachings of John the Baptist and a baptism for repentance. That he knew the Old Testament, he knew the Messiah was coming, he believed John the Baptist that the Messiah was there, he repented and probably was a follower of John the Baptist, but he didn't know the rest of the story. Probably knew a little bit of the life of Jesus, but most scholars think, and and, and just the way this is worded, the baptism of John the Baptist, it looks like he may not have known about the the crucifixion or the resurrection. Maybe he hadn't heard about that. Maybe he hadn't heard about baptism of the Spirit, about the forgiveness of sins that the the sacrifice of Jesus offered. And so imagine if if you've got part one and a half of the story and you've got it right and he's a godly man and you know the Messiah has come, but imagine if if you haven't heard that that Messiah had to die. 
Imagine if you hadn't heard that there was forgiveness or sins that eliminated the need for sacrifice. That there was hope of eternal life. And there was relationship with God the Father. Uh, What a beautiful second half to the story that he hadn't heard yet. But he was faithful to what he knew. He was teaching it and teaching it very successfully. But just even that beginning reminds us that even Apollos needed discipling. Even Apollos didn't know everything. And, and if Apollos didn't know everything, who had studied and, and who had, had been um, just the, in, a, in this amazing teaching um, ministry, then maybe you, or I, you and I don't know everything. Maybe you and I can still grow with Christ. And, and so even Apollos needed discipling is point number one. But if we bring it home to us, discipling is for everyone. Discipling is for everyone. We never outgrow it. Anyone here perfectly know God's word, can, can quote me every verse, knows every doctrine. None of us this side of eternity are going to be in that place. And so we get the joy of learning new things about God every day, new things about God every week. And so Apollos had a beautiful thing to learn about Jesus, to learn about the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. The other thing in this is discipling is for everyone. I, I, I really, as I, my heart for village is to realize discipling and discipleship isn't optional. It's something that if we're a believer, we do. It's part of being a believer. It's part of growing with Christ. It's part of what God intended his church to do. And so we see in those two verses, Apollos is on the scene, amazing man, but there's a need there, right? He's not teaching correctly. And so verse 26, we get to the next point. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So he comes to Ephesus. He's speaking in the synagogue. Doesn't know the rest of the story. Who's at Ephesus? Aquila and Priscilla, right? Who Paul invested in for a year and a half. And they're like, this guy has it right. Almost. He he doesn't have the rest of the story. And so... They, they got on Twitter and started saying how awful he was. And they crucified him on Facebook. No. No, this is a brother in Christ. They recognized the heart. And, and just because he didn't understand some of the, the things that had happened since his training didn't mean they should crucify him and, and ostracize him and kick him out of the church. And so it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And yes, that's a problem. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. That is a beautiful verse. That is an amazing verse. And so the picture is, they see him in the synagogue. This guy's powerful. He almost has it right. And they don't even stand up and counter him publicly in the synagogue. Afterwards, they come and say, hey, why don't you come over for lunch? Okay, I, I don't know whether it was lunch, but why don't you come over to our house? And they took him aside privately. Some of the translations say to their home, and that probably to their home. And, and, and they took him aside, and they begin to explain to him the way. And they did it privately to not embarrass. They, they did it in love, and there becomes this, this gracious discipling interaction here. And they knew that this man had skills and he was bold, but boldness without accuracy is dangerous. Accuracy to the word, accuracy to theology matters, but we don't have to correct people on Twitter. See, Priscilla and Aquila had stayed in Ephesus. They were studied, they were taught, and they were willing to pass it on. And so they privately corrected. They did it in love. They did it in relationship. So point number two in your notes, Priscilla and Aquila took the initiative to disciple Apollos. I love that verse because it says they went to him and said, can we talk? Come on over. We've got some pretty exciting news to share with you. So so as, as far as news goes, forgiveness of sins and eternal life is pretty high on the list of good things to share. And so they, they brought him and they, they corrected him. They took the initiative to disciple Apollos. 
And, and so many times if I'm looking at, at my life today and how busy I get in my schedule, it is hard to take the initiative and say, I need to disciple someone. It's hard to carve out that time. It's hard to, to think, what if they think I'm old? Just leave that there for my kids. But those are all hindrances of us taking initiative. Those are all ways, reasons we don't want to take initiative. Maybe as a younger person, you're like, I don't know if I, I want to go to the old. I'm sure they're busy. I don't want to go to the older person. They have a lot on their plate. They wouldn't care about someone like me. Nonsense. All of those are excuses Satan puts in our heads to stop us from building discipling relationships, life-giving relationships. And I don't care if you, you don't even have to call them discipling relationships. Talk, talk about investing into a brother or sister's life as believers. That's what we're talking about. So number two, Priscilla and Aquila took the initiative to disciple Apollos. The instruction to us is take initiative to start discipling or being discipled. We've got to take the initiative. And, and, and I, I know that that is a struggle today. That's a struggle even in, in finding work or doing school or whatever. We've got to get off our tail ends and take initiative to do things. And so I think one of the lessons here, take initiative to start discipling or being discipled. Ask. Make it happen. And the other part of this, also from this verse, I have three points out of this verse. I love this verse. Get, point number three, gifted Apollos responded well. And we're going to see that in the next verse because he is, he's in the church. He's with the brothers. They're giving him letters of recommendation. They're encouraging him. And so this went well. And so point number three, gifted Apollos responded well. And the instruction to us is be teachable. Be teachable. Apollos was teachable even though he was talented. He might have been more talented than Aquila and Priscilla. He probably was more educated. He, he probably was coming from a better status in life. They're leather workers. And he was teachable. And that reminds us that we all need to be teachable. To listen to correction, even from two tent makers. If it's coming from God's word. Lloyd Ogilvie said this, and I love this. The sure sign of spiritual maturity is the undefensive willingness to grow. Let me repeat that. The sure sign of spiritual maturity is the undefensive willingness to grow. When I see someone that thinks they have it all down, or when someone says, ah, I don't know if I can grow anywhere. I don't know if you have anything to offer me. I've already studied that. When, when we see people with that kind of attitude, it always is a result of spiritual immaturity, and their growth has been stunted and stopped. Maturity is the humility to say, I, there's things I don't know. There's things that I can grow in. This is a man noted for his knowledge of Scripture, his rhetorical skills, his fervent spirit that he was just bold and out there. But he's not insistent on, on doing it his way. He's not insistent that he has to know, know everything. And so for us, what do we do when there's criticism? I, the hair on the back of our neck can go up when there's criticism. We can, you know, we can get angry. But the first thing is to listen to it and, and see what truth might be there. Listen and evaluate. And I, I think part of this is go, go to Bible studies, come to church, go to discipleship meetings looking to learn. If we're excited, if, if you come on Sunday morning and you're excited about what you can learn, you're going to learn something. If you come and think, man, I'm just showing up, there's nothing that, that I, I need to learn, you're probably not going to learn anything. It's same message. How we come matters. So come excited to learn, looking to learn, without thinking we're more mature than the person sitting next to us or with the other believers. I love, uh, this happens a lot in our community group. I love throwing out a question for discussion because every week someone brings up a point I didn't see in the text. Every week. And I spent 20 hours studying the text that week. But the Holy Spirit indwells every, every believer. And when we come together and share those insights, it is a beautiful thing. One of the red flags I, that I think of that we can learn from Apollos is sometimes I've heard people say, well, I should be the one discipling, not being discipled. Red flag, red flag, red flag. 
because that's a, a statement of maturity. Now, there are times where we're discipling others, but even in that, there's a, there's a equality, there's a growth together. So we want to be careful of, of pride. I really uh, appreciate Apollos because it just, we don't see it here. You know, I, we don't have a lot about him, but we don't see it in this text. Last point from verse 26, and this is um, a quick point. Healthy discipleship always includes studying the word. And, and where I, this is a little bit of an inference from the verse, but what were Aquila and Priscilla teaching him on? The word of God, right? They were teaching him on the teachings of the apostles. You might say, well, they didn't have the New Testament yet. No, but they had the teaching of the apostles, and that's what Priscilla and Aquila are passing on. And, and so many times we can get into discipleship relationships and we're going bowling and we're going to baseball games and we're doing stuff together and we're having a lot of fun together and building a great friendship. And if we're not in the word, it's not discipling, it's building a great friendship. The word is an essential part of a discipling relationship. That's how we help each other grow. And so when we look for discipling relationships here at Village, we want to say, okay, are we helping each other in the Word of God? Are we training in the Word of God? They were training in the apostles' teaching. You know, are we also being willing to apply the Word of God to our lives? Sometimes it's easy in those just to affirm. Whatever the person says, oh, yeah, I understand. Oh, that's got to be tough. Oh, yeah, I hear your truth. And we never apply the truth. And, and I know that's a tricky thing. How do you do that in relationship? But growth has to come back to the truth. Then we get to verse 27. And, and last part of 26 and 27. Discipleship has a constant eye toward effective ministry. Discipleship has a constant eye toward effective ministry. I love where this goes. So at the end of 26, they explained to him the way of God more accurately, Right? So now he has a better understanding of the cross, of the resurrection, of the beauty of forgiveness, what it means that the Holy Spirit comes and, and what it means to follow Jesus. And they've taught him all that. I think that was over a period of time. We don't see that in the text, but that's a lot to teach in, in, in one meal. And so I think this is over a period of time in a relationship with Apollos. But then verse 27, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, which was where Corinth was. He wants to go back to Corinth. Probably had heard a lot about Corinth from Priscilla and Aquila. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So don't lose that phrase. Again, this is a short paragraph and every phrase has meaning. The, the result of this relationship, the result of this discipling relationship was now helping Apollos in further ministry. They helped him understand the word so he could teach it better. But now he, he, he's like, okay, I have a heart for Corinth. I have a heart for Achaia over there. And the church, the brothers, probably with, with Priscilla and Aquila leading the way, they encouraged him. They said, you know what? That might be where God's leading you. And so there's this whole ministry of encouragement that happens here and, and helping him know God's will. And so they... they paved the path for him to go, and then they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. This was something common of the time. You'd write a letter of recommendation or a letter of reference that would go before the person or you'd send with the person so that way they knew who this Apollos guy was. And so Aquila and Priscilla and the other disciples in the church were willing to go, go out on a limb and vouch for Apollos, send him on his way to further ministry. Isn't that cool? They sent him out, which, by the way, Paul sent Priscilla and Aquila out after he discipled them, left them at Ephesus. Well, he left them to, to minister, left them at Ephesus. Now they are reproducing and making more disciples. They are doing the same thing for Apollos, and now they're sending Apollos to Corinth. That's, that's how it works. That's how it should work. Discipleship helps in ministry. Discipleship has an eye for ministry. And so they send him on his way. And then the last part of 27 there goes into the next point. Discipleship grows the church and helps others. When he arrived, so he goes on the ship over to, to Corinth. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. 
he greatly helped them. This wasn't a little bit. He was an asset to the church. So he took what he was taught, how he was discipled, and now he's pouring into other people's lives. Verse 28 goes on to say how he used his talents, how he used his spiritual gifts. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Remember the words there, when you see Christ, it means Messiah. And so he's proving that Jesus was the Messiah to the Jews at Corinth. Because the guy was a great debater. And so he's going into the synagogues and he's debating. He is proving that Jesus is the Christ. Imagine, that might have been somewhat effective. Imagine, though, if he hadn't had Priscilla and Aquila's teaching of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And so the church is blowing up in Corinth because Priscilla and Aquila took the time to train Apollos. Took the initiative and weren't afraid of what he would say when they said, ah, you don't have it right. And so discipleship grows the church. Discipleship helps others. How many people came to Christ because Priscilla and Aquila discipled Apollos? That's our question today. How many people came to Christ? That's our text. I want to spend just about 10 more minutes here sort of giving us some tools. A little bit different from our normal messages, but how can we do this? How can we put this in, into practice? How can we follow Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, where the instruction to all of us is, go therefore and make disciples? Okay, so, so coming back to some basic things, and we have a, a, a whole page of resources on our website, which um, may or may not be up right now. We're having some, so I, this is my disclaimer of the day. We're having some, some problems with our provider, and so the website's up about half of each day right now. And so I'm going to refer you there, and if you go there this afternoon and you're like, it's not working, it might not be working. But it will tonight. So, um, in fact, we have a QR code in your notes to that page. And um, it was working last night and early this morning, but not right before the sermon, so we're working on that with tech support. Um, but... There's a whole bunch of things about how to do this. There's a discipleship handbook that is 15 pages of training on discipleship and how to do it and what that looks like and what it means. And and I just want to highlight a couple things. We need to define some words. Disciple. Let's start there. Who is a disciple? You are. Okay, I see your hands up. Good, yeah. How many of you are disciples? Okay, let me explain it because some of you are like, I have no idea what I'm raising my hand for. Um, and, and yeah, a disciple is everyone who believes that Jesus Christ died for their sins and has given their life to Jesus. A disciple is a believer. So every one of you that have followed Jesus with your life, you, you are disciples. And so disciple isn't some sort of super saint. Isn't some sort of, you know, I'm, I'm more spiritual than you. If I go to church 50 times this year, I'm a disciple. I made it. No, disciple is every believer. And so because we're all in the process. And so discipleship is the process of growing as a disciple. It's the process of learning. I would, I would hope and I would pray that every one of us know Jesus more today than we did a year ago. Not just intellectually and not just in knowledge, but experientially in relationship. That we are deep, we have a deeper love for Jesus. We've seen how he's worked in our lives. We've seen how he's walked through us in trials. We've seen his wisdom. We've grown in our trust for him. That's discipleship. And discipleship includes all of the input that we have for how we grow spiritually. Right now, this is part of discipleship. It isn't the whole of discipleship, but we're sitting under God's word and and sitting under the accurate teaching of God's word prayerfully and hopefully. And so this is part of discipleship of how I grow with Christ. And so all of these things, the education hour and the classes we do there are part of discipleship, not the whole. And that's a mistake I think a, a lot of churches make, but it's part of discipleship. But discipling is what I'm talking about when we, call, when we say discipling relationships or discipleship relationship. Discipling is an intentional relationship to walk life with another so that you can encourage, equip, and challenge each other with loving accountability to follow Christ and disciple others. 
Now, we could go into each phrase there, and there's a, a message that that page is linked to back when we were doing the Reproduce series that goes into every phrase for 40 minutes. I don't have that time this morning. But it's basically saying I'm intentionally coming alongside someone, and we're going to study God's word together, and we're going to pray for each other, and we're going to build into each other's lives for a period of time. Now, those relationships continue after that, but maybe not in the formal sense of going through a specific book or a specific book of the Bible, because once you care for someone, you care for someone, and, and that continues. But what, I'm, what, what, I, what I pray for at Village is we have these times where we come together and we study God's Word together in an intentional way, one-on-one or one-on-two, and we are building into each other's lives in that way. You know, we've, we've, we've said this is part of who we are. And one of my goals of that is that this happens as much as possible organically, that we just are so committed to this that we're asking someone, hey, do you want to get together and study John together? Or do you want to get together and go through this workbook together? And um, I, I sat down and I counted just how many of those kinds of relationships are already happening in Village. And I, I came up with at least 50. And I don't know all of them. Because even as I was doing that, someone came, someone came to me, oh, yeah, so-and-so and I are meeting, and we're going through this book. I'm like, cool, 52. No, no, it's, it's not about the numbers. But my joy is to see that, that we love doing this so much that that is part of who we are. And so that's a discipling relationship. And that is so important. It, it goes beyond a class. It goes beyond a course you take. That's, that's part of discipleship, but it's not discipling. And so we want to be a church that is committed to that. I think a good example of this, I'm, we're going to manage our time, is the ministry of Jesus. I think I have some circles up here, hopefully. And if you think, think of, so those are our definitions. Disciple is every believer. And then we have discipleship and discipling. And then we have the, the example of Jesus. And it'll be the circle that starts with crowd. So Jesus went around teaching, right? And as his ministry progressed, the crowds got bigger and bigger because he got, he was a famous guy. You raise a couple people from the dead and that'll happen. And um, so people were coming to hear his teaching. And that was the, the broad circle of, of Jesus' influence is he, he influenced these people through his teaching. Then he had his 12 disciples. And you could actually include in that there were other followers of him. At one point, we know he sent out 70 um, but he spent more time with those disciples in a, he lived life with them for three and a half years, goodness, and, and trained them how to follow him. But even then, he had a discipling relationship with three of them, the core, Peter, James, and John, that he just poured into. And that didn't, that didn't say the others were less important, but he, he strategically had people that he was discipling. And that, I think, is a great metaphor as the crowd is the gathering together. We're called to do that, the assembling of the saints. We worship together. We sit under the teaching of God's word together. If I had to put sort of the disciples, the next tier, that might be small groups. That might be community groups, education hour, where we have 20, 30 people that we're studying together. And you're getting to know people. But if you're like me, you're probably not going to share deep, dark secrets with 30 of your closest friends. You're looking for a more intimate place to do that. And that is where the core was um, for Jesus and where he ministered. So hopefully that's helpful to think through all the different aspects of, of our Christian walk and discipleship to know what's going on. So to end, back to just some tools for us. In January, I challenged us to a one-one-one mentality. I don't really remember that. It was January. We're talking eight months ago, nine months ago, however, however long it was. And the one 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 idea was, do we have one person that we are praying for daily to come to Christ? One person that God has put on our heart that we want to see reached with the gospel, which is really the beginning of the discipleship process, having someone come to Christ. And then the, the next one is, do you have someone older than you or older than you in the faith, mature, that is investing in you in a discipling relationship? And then the third one is, do you have someone younger than you that you are investing in? And depending on your age, that might be in an official discipling relationship. If you're in junior high or high school here, maybe that's just investing and getting to know them, saying you're praying for them and, and coming to youth group together. 
But do we have someone older? Do we have someone younger that we are intentionally in a discipling relationship with? And I would challenge you that if we did those three things, we would see God move in this church. We would see God move in our lives as he grows his church into maturity and as he adds people, not in terms of numbers, but adds people to the kingdom of God to come to him. So who are you praying for? Who do you have older than you investing in you, discipling you? Who do you have younger than you that you are investing in and discipling? Because discipleship always has an eye to ministry, we said. It always has an eye to reproduce. And so today I bring that back up to make sure you're still praying for someone to come to Christ and then looking for opportunities to share Jesus with them, the best news they will ever hear. But then the, the second, the number two and number three, to challenge us to take initiative and make this happen. And, and I'm fine if it happens without anyone else knowing. You don't have to get my permission to disciple someone, to build a relationship with someone and talk about Jesus. That, this is the organic aspect of discipleship. It, it should just be part of our DNA, part of what we do. But if, if you're, some of you are like, yeah, I've got this. I'm an extrovert. I'm, I have 20 people I'm going to talk to, which sort of is, you know, when it's one and, and one, yeah, don't. Um, some of you may be more on the introvert side. And you're like, nope, not going to happen. Or I don't know who to talk to. I don't know how to do this. And I get that. I, I, I alternate between extrovert and introvert, so it depends on what day of the week it is. And so one of the things that we as a church will provide is if you want us to, to, to find a discipling relationship. If you have a heart, I want to be in one of these relationships. I want to be discipling. I want to be discipled then talk to us and we'll arrange something. We'll find something. And you can talk to one of the pastors or when the website's up and you can go to that page with that QR code, there is a a button there that says, I'd like to be put in a discipleship group. I'd like to be part of a discipleship group. That'll fill out some information like what kind of thing you're interested in and we'll pair you up with someone. So my goal is, yes, I want it to happen organically, but I want to facilitate this any way I can. And I know that's the goal of the other pastors and the elders here too. We'll facilitate this any way we can. So, so if you need us to, maybe you don't know very many people here yet. And you're like, okay, pair me up with someone, you know, older or younger or my stage of life. Then, then let's do it. We'll, we'll, we'll arrange that. And then you guys can work out when to meet. And, and like I've said before, I encourage like meeting once a week or once every other week, depending on schedules and then going through some material together. The, the resource guide on that web page, the, the discipleship handbook has a list, I think it has three pages of potential resources just to get the idea going. There's more out there. But that gets the idea going. I want to highlight a couple of them because we've used Design for Discipleship from Navigators, which I still recommend. We have in our resource center. It's a great place to start, especially younger believers, as it goes through some of the basics of the faith. But another resource that I want to highlight that we've been using a lot, and you'll see it on the website, and we have copies. I, I think I have 10 copies of this even today. If you want to start, start this week, we can, set, we can hook you up. Um, this is called Discipleship Essentials. And it's 25 studies that are designed to do once a week or once every other week. And the format is really nice because each week it gives you a core truth that you're going to learn and, and look up God's word. It gives you a verse to memorize because I I am a firm believer in memorizing God's word as part of our spiritual growth. And then it does an inductive Bible study on a related passage. So it teaches you how to study God's word. And you do this together and you can actually write in the book. It's really cool. Um, It gives you some reading that you can do during the, the week that will just deepen your understanding of that. And then and encourage you, you to go deeper with the person and pray together. And then you're done. And each week is the same format. I like things that are the same format every week because once you learn it, it's the same. Different verses, but but the same. And this is something that I would encourage if you're looking to start a discipling relationship, start here. Discipleship Essentials. And it's a great thing to go through with somebody. I know a number of us on staff have gone through this with people, and it has been a wonderful experience. After that, they actually have a number of other resources 
And I don't know if I have these on the screen. Ah, they're there. Um, here's four other resources from the same group. And there is, these can be done in any order, but there's um, witness essentials that talk about outreach. And I'd re- I recommend doing that second because there's, there's just something about training us to be about outreach, training us to reach out to others that is important. The longer we're believers, the, the harder it gets. We just don't know as many non-Christians. And so Witness Essentials is a great place to start. There's one called The Essential Commandment that talks about loving God and loving others like we have in our lobby. Then if you want like a, a New Testament primer, there's one that's just New Testament Essentials that will go through the whole New Testament and give you some basics and some, uh, um, a little more than basics, gives you a good understanding If you're someone that's looking to be in leadership at the church or at your work, there's one that's leadership essentials. Maybe you're going, maybe your your discipleship group is with some other people that are leading things and you want to learn more about leadership, this is a great tool for that. And so um, we have examples of those and we can get those, but, and then we have a bunch of the discipleship essentials if you want to start right away. It's as simple today as going to someone and saying, hey, do you want to get together every couple of weeks and go through a book together? Pray for each other and care about each other. And it may take an hour or two of your week, every other week. And it'll be one of the best investments you can do. How many people came to Christ because Priscilla and Aquila were willing to invest that way in Apollos? Because Paul was willing to invest that way in Priscilla and Aquila. Because Barnabas was willing to invest that way in Paul. Do you see? Do you see how the church grew in Acts? Do you get a taste of it? Does it get us excited? I hope so. A lot more we could talk about discipleship. I could talk for a long time on it, but we need to end. Um, And so let me pray. But if you have questions, if you're interested, talk to me. Talk to Pastor, either the Pastor Andrews. Um, Talk to one of the elders. Because I, I believe this is how God wants to grow his church here, is with these kind of relationships. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Apollos and his boldness, his fervency, his commitment to your word. Thank you for Priscilla and Aquila who are willing to teach him and bring them into their home and show hospitality. Thank you for Paul who was willing to live with them and train them. Lord, I pray that you would cause growth here, not for the sake of growth, but that you would deepen us in our walk with you, that we'd be equipped to walk with you, and we'd be sharing the gospel so others can be adopted into your family. Lord, thank you for your word. I'm excited as we get back to Acts. Transform us, form us by it, Lord, and help us to be the church that you desire. In your name, amen.